this is a National Black Cooperative podcast where we use the health justice framework to fight anti-Blackness through systemic racism, through social injustice, um, through education, advocacy, community engagement, so that Black, Indigenous, and people of color cannot merely survive but flourish. Um, on this podcast, we seek to decolonize perspectives. We seek to educate, improve historical and current contexts. We will advocate for a more just and equitable world, and we will never stop reimagining a world better than the one we live. And in today's podcast, we have... Hi, I'm Zach. I am the graphic designer for TNBC, all things graphics. Hi, I'm Kathy. Um, I'm one of the educational co-leads and facilitators. My name is Adrian, and I I'm a student at Mount Holyoke College. Awesome. So, and I'm Adrian Asua. So, to kick things off, we're just gonna go around quickly and um, describe how we're what social justice issue kind of is piquing our interest this week and why. Um, whoever wants to start can go first. I will go first uh, because I live in Boston, and uh, I was talking to Adriana about this last week, but the uh, transit system here in Boston is the MBTA, and they are having the worst week of all time. Uh, multiple buses have caught fire, a train caught on fire, um, and cut. A, they have cut the orange line, which is like a big line they have like completely stopped all service um this has been a problem for years now it's been a very underfunded part of the city um but it's also a vital part of the city because so many people who commute to work or if you're trying to get into the city from the suburbs or you know outskirts of town in boston like the t is your main way to do that because you know it's not a very car friendly city either um and it's been neglected for years and it's one of those things that isn't very surprising but it's gotten to a boiling point where it's like you know when stuff catches on fire you can't really avoid that and um for example the other day um one of the trains just stopped in the tunnel and they had to like walk people through the tunnel to get to the next like station and so it's like stories like this keep coming out um and there there's talk about the federal government actually stepping in um, to run the MBTA for a while because it's just like a complete disaster right now. So <laughs> that affects everyone in the city, but, you know, obviously mostly affects people who, you know, rely on public transit to get where they need to go. So that's, uh, yeah, it's kind of an unavoidable one for Boston right now. Um, I think um, one of the things that's been on my mind lately is I was um, reading chapter 11 um, of um, Dr. Maya Angelou's race, gender, and class. And like, I feel like I just got like a history lecture in a way that I've never gotten before, really tying all three together, understanding how um, in that chapter, they basically talk about um, the topic of rape as a politicized weapon and how it is historically rooted and like how race gender and class really like it like they're all interconnected in a way that's like inseparable and the way that she explained it all in the chapter was not only enlightening but still true to this day because she wrote this in like what the 80s or something and i'm just like wow thinking about roe v wade thinking about like all the legal cases thinking about all the stuff that's going on with education and like different institutions it was just like it was like a lot, but also like refreshing to see like, wow, there's just, look how far we've come, but look how much history has repeated um, itself. So it was, that's just what's been on my mind. Cause it's like, I read it all in an hour and I was like, wow, this is very powerful still to this day. Should I go? Okay. Um, something that has been on my mind is free transportation in Connecticut specifically. Um, Governor Mott has had a period for a while where he allowed uh, free transportation for um, uh, certain citizens and it worked, but then there's also talk about him taking it out of way. And then I've been on a couple of um, working groups that were talking about from the driver's perspective, they don't want um, free transportation because it allows for people who may be um, more violent especially at night, um, to come on to the buses without any sort of form of like barrier being like, I actually want to tra want transport instead of like, I just want to be there um, to like release my anger, like it's th their safety. So 
Um, I never thought of that uh, view before. And so I think it's a great um, point that they bring up and why and why there is backlash against free transportation. And I think um, uh, tying in the bus drivers um, points of view is very important in deciding free transportation for especially people who are low income and need to save that money for other things. So. Yes, thank you guys for all your um, points today. Like I think they're very valid and like all kind of like tying to each other in various different ways. But um, yeah, I appreciate that. And I think just to keep thinking forward about every day, like how, what, in what ways do we see issues arising in our day-to-day -day life? And how can we have like effect in them? But I thank you guys for that. Um, And next we have the song of the podcast. I don't have a song of the podcast this time. Um, actually, I can make one off the top of my head. <laughs> so recently, Beyonce came out with the album Renaissance, and there's a song called Energy on it. Okay, um, so it came out in 2022, July. And seeing that our the topic of our podcast is student debt cancellation as racial justice, and seeing that student debt cancellation was a promise on the um, uh, campaign trail during the 2020 election for president. I would think energy would be a good choice for that because they need to keep the same energy. So I'm going to keep it quick and concise on that, where that goes. But in today's podcast, we will be discussing why student debt cancellation is important and why it is not only an economic issue, but a racial justice issue. So first, we describe how we got here um, and student debt more gen generally. So as a nation, the United States United States owes about 1.775 trillion in student debt as reported by the um, Education Data Initiative. In a material sense, that means that student loan debt burdens more than 44 million Americans, preventing them from buying millions buying from millions from buying homes, starting business businesses, saving for retirement, and even starting families. To make the matters worse, the increasingly higher cost for college is uniquely an American problem. In fact, a third of the de developed countries offer college free of charge to their citizens, and another third keep tuition very cheap, less than 2,400 a year, according to the Atlantic. So this tells us that there's another way that we can pay for college. So my first two questions start uh, start off as, why does college cost so much, and why are loans and um, scholarships often pushed as a solution for um, such high prices, the solution to paying for such an expensive education well i remember um when we were like looking into it and um we you know i it was interesting because when we talked about doing this like we wanted to talk about more of the the history of it because as it stands now you know all of us are relatively young you know either in or just got out of college and so it's something that like seems to have always at least to me it seemed like it was always there like, you know, when I when I was first applying to college, it was always like, well, you're going to have debt unless your family is like extremely wealthy or you somehow get, uh, you know, one of those rare merit like full rides or something. Um, you're going to be in debt. And that's just like you have to accept that fact. But it's not always been the case. Um, and I think I forget which one it was, but like a lot of like student debt, I think was like it, it went back to. um like post-World War II era um, kind of stuff with like the GI Bill and stuff like that. And when um, people were saying that like, we need more like equity in our schools and we need to allow more like black and brown people in higher education is when they started to shift the, the onus of payment from just being on, you know, like the government and the schools to help people get into these positions and started putting a lot of like, the onus of paying the the you know the bill footing bill for school on like actual families and people and it, it's just like reading that it kind of like opened my eyes because i didn't know that it was like it, race was like tied into it you know it was like oh we're letting like black and brown people into like higher like places of higher education well then uh they should pay for it you know and they you know eventually it got to the point where it's like extremely expensive right and that that's a whole nother thing but like it did start kind of with that initial like push to um 
I don't know. It's like it's kind of it's just weirdly like evil. Like oh, like we're just gonna, you know, we're gonna push more debt onto these families who like clearly can't afford it. And that was the whole point, right? They knew that they wouldn't be able to like afford it without a serious amount of debt. And it's like I can't. There's no other. There's not really much other explanation to that, right? Yeah, I think you make such a good point. I didn't get to that part of the research, but like during that time, the GI Bill systemically excluded black and brown folk from it right like they were because of the nature of the jobs that they had at that time if I remember correctly um they were excluded from the GI Bill so they didn't, they didn't get a lot of the um weren't able to reap a lot of the privileges that 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 bill presented like even you think about housing and like um and uh, banking policies and stuff like that and able to get loans secure loans to like buy houses like the building of the suburbia you know and like who was able to be able to um build wealth from that so like it makes so much sense that that was tied and also that's like Lee Atwater peak like um emergence so like it, it makes a lot of sense that like that kind of is tied in but I don't know if anybody else wanted to say something yeah just to add on to what Zach was saying um when you're talking I was really thinking about the accessibility of higher education like it's a privilege to be able to even access it economically thinking about people from back in from like the 17 1800s when education as an institution was like it was institutionalized meaning that like they like started to have a formal system in which people could come in be educated come out with a formal degree and then that degree would mean something economically so thinking from when it was kind of not only colonized, but thinking in the 1800s specifically, the only people who were really able to access it were upper middle class. And that's still kind of true today. So why are loans and scholarships pushed is because it's like, who can actually afford it? And it's like not many people. So that's why they're pushed because there's no other actual like economic solution besides like throwing either throwing money at it or offering like other solutions so I think in my opinion that's why they're often pushed is because it's like well does anyone have a spare quarter of a million dollars for college <laughs> I sure don't so I'm gonna go I'm gonna go seek some of those things and I also think that race ties into it because race and gender have always been uh, used as like a barrier or a border to have people to access a higher education. For example, Polly Murray. Polly got into some of the top Ivy League schools um, as a woman or, or perceived woman of color because they identified as like non-binary at the time. But basically they were like, oh, well, we perceive you as a woman and because you're a woman, you can't come to our school. It's not because you're black, but because you're a woman. So those, and that's just in a specific example as to how race and gender are used as a barrier. And, and it's continued to, it's, it continues the narrative that like, oh, your story is not worth telling. Like when you get into higher education, like you learn all sorts of different things, speaking from experience. And oftentimes whose narratives or stories are left out and why is that so? And I think that um, college costs so much because it's also a gatekeeper for, well, whose stories should be told? Because when the public opinion is is swayed that sways our legal and money and all sorts of things so i think that's also acts as like a gatekeeper to keep certain people in power and privilege and to continue to oppress or keep others at the bottom but that's just that's just my perspective no i think i think you're spot on with that because when you when you think about it like going through college and education is like or you know higher education it's supposed to like teach people how to be like citizens of our country right and it's like in, it's another institution and when you say it's like a barrier to like you know higher paying jobs and what have you it's like well that you know if if they can't if they're stuck paying for you know the debt that they've occurred going through college like you're less likely to have you know the the freedom to go pursue something else like you need a job immediately you know what i mean you need you need to go like work you know, a job immediately that's going to like help you pay off your debt. And you're not you're not necessarily just gonna have the freedom to do what you want, per se, you know, and it, it's it's really frustrating. I don't know. It's like this This is the kind of stuff like we talk about different issues. And this is the one that like, oh, man, it pisses me off. Like, I guess, like, it's a lot more personal, you know, it's yeah. like, yeah, it's 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 one of those things where you know both of my parents were immigrants um you know and even back then they had student debt it wasn't the same as it is now uh you know and like they saved for like decades to send me and my brother through college um and even though they were very frugal cut a lot of corners you know like made sure to save up a lot of money like 
still have a lot of debt. <laughs> like I still have a lot of student debt that I have to pay off now, even though they did everything right. You know what I mean? Um, and it's just, it's so frustrating. Like, what was that number, Adriana? Like the full, full amount? It was, was like, $1.75 trillion dollars that the nation owes in student debt. That's just an absolute absurd number, you know? Um, and like, I think we should probably, we should talk about like, why, why the, like the price of college has gone up so like significantly. Cause it's like, from the time that I graduated, you know, to like when I first got accepted, like the price of my school, Northeastern, has gone up like 15K, you know, like a year. And it's what what has really changed, you know, <laughs> is the education 15K more valuable? Like, I don't think so. You know, I, I, I don't know. I'd like to hear people's thoughts on that. It's just like what because <laughs> there, there's a point where it's like, you know, my dad, he had student debt. He paid it off working like a summer yeah. job. You know what I mean? Like I'm working a full-time job getting paid like a salaried wage. And it's going to take me at least like a couple of years to pay off, you know, at least. And my debt isn't as bad as some of my friends have, you know? Exactly. I think you make valid, really valid points, Zach. And then even going back to Cassie's point about like accessibility and like looking at the research, like it's, it's constrained accessibility too at that. When you talk about like the loans, because like, and especially for like black and brown borrowers, because even after you get out of like once you graduate college, if you do, like your degree doesn't hold the same weight because of like discrimination in the workplace that your white counterparts do. Okay, and there's no fault of your own, no fault of you not working hard enough. Like the equivalent degrees is bore out in the wage gap, right? Like you're not gonna be, you're not making enough money to pay it back. Period, just generally because of the way the economics go, but also because of like black and brown borrowers just systemically make less with the same degrees as their other counterparts. So it's just like, even in that way, it's like, it's not, the accessibility is not even paying off in the way that it is, it tells us that it's supposed to pay off for us. And then Zach, going to your point about like, just why, like these increases, like they're increasing this tuition, we're increasing um your university fee, we're increasing your transportation fee. And it's like, what have you, what have you substantially done that, can explain this like increase in cost and it's like the more and more you go to it it's like there's nothing to explain like be explained about it and I looked about um I was reading this Atlantic article and it was talking about how like typically in the in like the markets if you have introduced more competition typically prices go down but like college is like the only institution where like prices like continue to go up even though they have more and more competition and it's like the logic behind that is just very wild. So I think this definitely that's definitely like a an aside for to go into another podcast for sure. But it's it's mind boggling if you really get to thinking about it. I'm just thinking about like what else, what like where else to go with that because it's just the whole point of going to like a higher institution, right? Is to try and build like that generational wealth, right? That's like to get the higher paying job that will like hopefully bring you know money to your family and like make sure that the next generation will be better off than the last one but it's like the the debt that you accure like postpones that it's slow it slows that process right because like if you if you are a very wealthy white person or whatever you go to school I've heard countless stories about you know your aunt or uncle or your grandma is giving you like 20k to like you know there's you know your help to get into college and I don't want to say that that's the case for every per like white person but it's a lot more often than it would be for a black or brown student and it's just like that's the kind of thing that continues to perpetuate that lack of generational wealth you know what I mean and it's it's super frustrating because it's so built into the system that it's it's not even like thought about too much anymore you know it's um and we, we wanted to talk about uh like debt in general you know what i mean uh like the like the fact that everyone in america just has credit card debt you know as alongside like student loan debt and it's just like something that is perceived as normal you know like that's the only way to build credit and it's like it's 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 just really weird when you like start thinking about it too much right it's just like everyone ha is in crazy amounts of debt and that's just like how it is and it almost forces you into 
you know, uh, the economy. It forces you to participate in the system that we're built built in. You know what I mean? Like, um, I remember I was frustrated about like, it felt like the only option was to go to college. You know, it felt like I had to go to college. And at the time, I didn't really understand that decision. I, I'm happy I went looking back on it. But it's like, it was like I was forced to take on debt. You know, this <laughs> is just like, you know what I mean? If I wanted to go to a school that had, you know, the degree that I wanted to get and, you know, was outside of my hometown, like, that's just a choice that, you know, you're kind of forced to make most of the time. Uh, no, but like, I totally agree, Zach. When you were talking, I was thinking about how, like, wealth is always seen as like something tangible, like money or property or like, like a degree, like having that piece of paper, that something in the end. But instead of seeing wealth as something that's not as tangible, but that can be passed down to others like skills, like, you know, my parents would always teach me the importance and the value of education. And that was their kind of like intellectual wealth and trying to reframe wealth, wealth in a way that it's not as just like feeding economically into the system, but also like internally in a sense. So it's kind of like you go to these institutions and in higher education for an opportunity to get paid more, but it's not guaranteed. It's yeah. just it's just for an opportunity, but it's not marketed that way. It's marketed as go to college. You have to because like you'll be better in life. You'll have privilege and prestige and you'll 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 you're in the steps to becoming um the, the like the next top model or like the next top American dream. And it's like that's how it's presented. So I totally feel you, Zach, because it's just like it's not presented as like, oh well this is a place to network. This is a place to learn about yourself and identity to manifest internal instead of externally it's like it's so much deeper than that but like we're not taught we're we're only taught in the monopoly of capitalism to just continue that cycle instead of to see it more intrinsically so like that's how I've been framing it more so but like understanding like you know how it is in reality versus like how I want what I want to take away from it and then pass on because like I try to find those silver linings despite all the nuanced oppressions within it so yeah, just wanted to add that, and then I'm gonna have to head out in a minute or two, just so you know. <laughs> Thanks, guys. No, you make such you guys both make such valid points, and I think kind of ties into our next the next kind of section of this discussion, like the normalization of like debt, but also like the hegemony of like this this linear path of like going to college, and like I really appreciate my college experience. So I like I'm not saying college is a bad thing necessarily, but like the hegemony of like oh it's normal to incur this, like these large amounts of debt. Like this is okay. This is an okay process. Even thinking about like um you like you said you talked about credit debt and just debt in general like it's the normalization of like you have to do this in order to be able to exist in a system where you need to be able to you know buy a home or like need to um form a line of credit to buy homes to buy a car you know all the things that you kind of need to are essential to like daily living you need to be enfranchised into like this system of credit but yeah this aclu um, article we were looking at where it's like student debt student loan debt burdens more than 44 million Americans and present and prevents millions from buying homes starting businesses saving for retirement etc right and we know that it disproportionately affects black families right but then I think the interesting stat from that article this once again from the ACLU um, is that two decades after taking out their student loans the median black borrower still owes 95% of their debt, which is wild. That's like, that's so essentially two decades after starting to pay, they still owe 95% of their debt. So pretty much all of it that they started with. And I think that's a point that we haven't really touched on yet is the interest on these loans. Mm -hmm. They're there from the government or private would private tends to be worse is that for whatever reason, the interest rates on these loans are ridiculous. And, th and that's part of what's so evil about it is because you're not just paying like X amount that they say, like you say your college is 60,000 a year, right? Yep. Take out a full $60,000 of that to go to school. Um, you're going to end up paying like double that. You're going to end up paying like over 120 plus thousand dollars over the course of time, unless you try to pay it all off at once, you're going to pay more than 60K unless yeah. you immediately, which if you did, then what's the point of taking out the loan? You know what I mean? And some interest rates are as high as like 10%, you know, and you're supposed to make monthly payments on it. Like there's some, like some of my friends that I know, 
their their monthly like student debt payments are more than their like car payments. You know what I mean? It's like insane. And and that's what keeps people in debt um, and makes these institutions so insanely wealthy is because mm -hmm. they're inherently like kind of ripping you off. You know, like the price tag on a degree is not what you end up paying. Like you, you're going to pay more because of these interest loans. And so that stat, once again, two decades after taking out their student loans, the median black borrower still owes 95% of their debt. That's an insane stat. And then um, whereas the median white borrower has paid off 94% of their debt two decades later. So just like the, the, the stark difference, you know what I mean? The, like <laughs> after two decades of having a loan, the average black person will still owe pretty much all of the loan, whereas the average white person will pretty much have paid it off by then. And yes. like, you know, we can talk about, you know, different um, just stories or whatever, our own personal experience, but that's just the numbers, you know, like that, that's just the pure facts and stats that like we have. And that's just ridiculous. Like that, I don't know, that one really stood out to me. No, yeah, it's fact, like how debilitating it can be. And Cassie's in the chat, she's talking about, she said, as like historically debt was used as a political tool to manipulate people of color who were then unable to buy houses or go to school since they were consistently constantly in debt from their interests over time being passed down into the next generation. So God, um, but she was like, yes, Zach. So yeah, definitely like the ways in which debt intergenerationally, you know, affects the generation after generation because people are not able to pay and kind of going off that point Zach I had talking about black borrowers are more likely to take on larger amounts of debt and the racial wealth gap so black borrowers are forced to borrow more for college so they can work their way into the middle class the reality is shaped by the persistence of systemic racism that has disenfranchised black folk from inter intergenerational wealth creation because of for example, because of slavery, sharecropping, racial covenants, redlining, residential seg segregation and much more. This has manifested itself in Black students owing, on average, $52,000 in debt. That is $25,000 more than white students. And then we go into workplace discrimination. So additionally, workplace discrimination and wage gaps on, labor, on the labor market has contributed to the student debt um, having a disproportionate impact on Black borrowers. Um, the horrible irony is that for Black people, college is not optional, but the only viable way out of um, the racial wealth deficit slash gap. At least a lot of them perceive it that way. However, not only do Black students incur more loans, they have to work harder to pay them off. For example, Black women must obtain a bachelor's degree or higher to earn more than white men who have some, some college but no degree, says the report. In other words, Black women need additional credentials to complete to, to compete in labor market in the labor market, but they get lower financial return on the uh, their college investment than men of all races. Additionally, after graduation, student uh, Black students owe 12.5% more than they borrowed. This is because of interest that Zach pointed out, while uh, white students owe 12% less. This, again, can be explained in part by the workplace discrimination as equal degree attainment does not translate into equitable pay. So pay inequity inhibits Black borrowers' ability to pay back loans. And as, loans, as loan balances go up, credit scores go down, creating greater financial struggles for Black borrowers. Because Black people are more likely to have loans that are over $50,000 um, and, are, and are typically paid less, they're less likely to gain wealth because they're stuck in this like cyclic cycle of like having to pay off debt, but having to work to survive and then having to pay off debt and not being able to buy into things that create wealth, like own, home ownership and things like that. So according to, to Brookings, the pursuit of education through student loan increases the racial um, wealth gap and fosters the fragility of the black middle class. The reality is made even more evident by research that states, by what Zach said, 20 years after uh, starting college, white borrowers median student debt fell by 6%, whereas the median black borrowers still owed 95% of their loan. And then lastly, tracking the same families over time between 1984 and 07, the wealth gap between white and black families um, quadrupled from 20,000 to 95,000. So I guess this gets us to the point. Also, I skipped this part, but who brought student debt cancellation to the forefront of the American consciousness in the most like recent last three to four years was um, Senate Elizabeth Warren, who was running for president in 2020, 
um, with their student debt cancellation plan, which actually purposely centered racial and economic justice, pointing out that Black borrowers bear the burden of student the student debt crisis. Um, so I say all that to say, why is student debt cancellation a racial justice issue? Like, what are the upstream factors? And also, why is like debt so normalized in the society? And then I have two other questions after, but we can start there. Yeah, I mean, I think we already covered why it's like a, a racial issue, right? Like, I think pretty much established that. Um, it's like really built into the system. And, you know, historically, um, it's just one of those things where it's like, it might not even be like a generally conscious decision, maybe by like the highest high people in power, it might be a decision, but like, it's one of those things where like black and brown people have been disadvantaged just from the start of the country. And this is just like another one of the like facets of how our society operates that just like exemplifies that disadvantage. You know what I mean? Um, but it's, it's also something that has been accelerated uh, I saw since like you know 2008 like more more um debt and stuff like that has been occurred of course on you know the the less wealthy uh more so than the wealthy um and so it kind of gets us to the point now right that especially post pandemic that student loans are once again like the topic of discussion um mm -hmm. you know I don't know. Do we want to go there yet? I don't know if I like. Well, let's. Before we go there, let's go. Let's go yeah. here. So how does the anticipation of student debt affect like pre-college planning or even like while you're in college? Um, yeah. Like, how does that affect the way you navigate that? Term? Like when you're thinking about what college to apply to, what do you want to do? And then when you're in college, like, are you working extra jobs? Yeah. Like, are you thinking about how you're going to repay? Or do you not even think about it at all until the time comes? And then also, like, how does student debt that impact life after college? Like, you're right. talking about, like, the jobs that you take or yeah. um, your plans. I think it's got, like, a double-edged sword where it's, like, if you're raised to, like, think about it, right, mm -hmm. or know enough, because that's the other thing is, like, we don't necessarily teach everyone um like financial literacy as we should right in this country um and so it becomes the thing where it's like well if you know if you know that like you're in debt and you know that you're going to struggle with this payment then it might affect certain decisions right like you might not go into a degree that you think might be harder it might be something you want to do but because you know that like you have all this debt to pay off, you might shift your major into something that you think is going to be more profitable for you in the long run and help you pay off that debt. Right. But on the other hand, if you like weren't raised to be financially uh, literate or what have you, um, and you completely ignore it, like some friends of mine who I know that like their parents didn't really, you know, raise them to think about money like that. Like you can end up with like hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. And then it just becomes this thing where it's like, well, I might never pay this off. I also know some people who like haven't finished school and still have like an insurmountable amount of money, especially with the pandemic. A lot of people stopped going to school during the pandemic, but yeah. they're still there. Um, you know what I mean? I'd like to, I, Adrian, if you uh, have something to say, because you're still in school, right? Yeah, I'm still in school. Um and I guess I want to talk about just like loans, but then also just like the work environment, the work culture um, at my school because of um, a lot of like the black and um, people of color at my school are working at least one job and usually it's at least two jobs. Um, unfortunately, that's like a regular everyday occurrence. Like someone's like coming from this job to go to school, like then goes to school and then goes to another job. And so it's just, you can see how overworked and overwhelmed um, like BIPOC people are um, at in school in general. Um, and I was surprised to see um, people doing that, but this is like their way to stay in school. This is how they can afford school is by doing these jobs and studying at the same time, even if it maybe takes a hit at their actual um, uh, processes in learning the actual work that they are trying to get a degree for, um, which is sad because we want them to experience um, 
the education and you want them to experience the community and the connections and that and like the connections and community can sometimes be lessened or hampered because they have to work so many hours just to keep up with their tuition. Um, and yeah, what, what are just some other questions that we wanted to answer as well with that? Oh, so we had, so anticipation of student debt. So like even like pre-college planning, thinking about like the anticipation of debt and how that affects the way you pre-college plan, like while you're in school, how that affects like what you're doing in school. And then after like um, when you graduate, how that affects like what jobs you take or um, the, 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 what are their plans post-college, you know, how are you going to go straight into grad school? And if that's like in, in, um, informed by like, if I go straight into grad school, I want to pay my debt quite yet. I can still get a different, like, how does it affect the way you navigate life like through all those phases? I see, I see. Okay. So like pre-college for me, um, I was like, oh no, I'm just gonna have to like receive this debt. Like, um, like how Zach was saying, like, I'm just gonna have to take and take the debt so that I can get a better paying job later on. So that way I can at least have the chance of paying off my debt, um, even if it is in 10 years. And so I still feel that burden on myself that I still have to pay this debt, even though it's not as bad as I thought it would be because um, Matt Hillick is known for giving a pretty good financial aid. Um, but like, it's, um like pressure and like stress to think about how to pay these loans back and so that they can wonder for an extra higher paying job in the field that they want um so yeah it's kind of just like navigating the after effect of going to going to college like I'm thinking about how to negotiate my salary as like technically an entry level worker, but also someone with education and the background in my field of environmental science. And so um, I can only hope that I can negotiate in a way where I can get paid just as much as like, say like a white man, a white presenting man. Um, and so that's just like a pressure that I, like never wanted to have to deal with, but it's mm -hmm. something that I have to face as a reality is that as a, as a person who looks like um, a black cis woman, like I, I'm automatically devalued in the, in the financial system, unfortunately. And I think that's a pain point and an annoyance with just living in a racist capitalistic society, so. Yeah. <laughs> I, I loved what you were saying too about like you know the whole like job aspect like working another job like during school like that's so common I feel like for a yes. lot of students but you think about like just the mental burden that puts on you right it's like you're doing you're doing two things at once like I, I worked a little bit while I was in school but I didn't work the whole time and that little bit was like super stressful you know, trying to like study for classes and doing homework and then making sure to clock in. And like, you know, sometimes you're trying to like finish work, like while you're at work, you know, for school. And it's just like the mental burden. And we talk about like how mental health, you know, we, you know, we yeah. focus the health of, you know, black and brown people a lot. Um, and just like the mental health toll that that takes on you um, is a lot. It really is, especially, you know, college is a time where you're like figuring out who you are like your relationship to society and all of that stuff and it can really skew when you like your schedule is just absolutely packed you know like what if you also want to do like extracurriculars you know what if you also want to get into a club you know what if you also want to like meet different communities and like interact like that like there's only so much time in the day and if you're working a part-time job and going to class like you might not have time for all of that and like where does sleep fit in right you're just mm -hmm. like sleep you gotta eat it's like it's just so much and I feel like there's a lot of people I know in these positions that just like there's there's they're just like it's a constant they don't have time to like stop and think about what's going on you know what I mean it's just like go 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 gotta get things done and 
I, that can, I think that can really have a negative effect on people. You know? I, yes. I, well, snaps to both of you guys, retweet everything you guys just said. And I think when I think about student debt and the way it shaped my, like my college experience, as far as like what I've done, like, I would say that my family is pretty solidly middle-class, but student debt and the anticipation of student debt strongly shaped the way like I navigate schools so, like my dad was like um you're going in the community like I got stuff to every school I applied I applied to when I got out of high school my dad was like you're going to community college for the first two years because you're not going to incur your if, if all the scholarships you got you're not going to incur any debt and we need to save money so in and it and they had like a guaranteed admissions program to UConn so like you're going to be as long as you keep your grades up and do what you need to do you're going to be guaranteed to be admitted into um into UConn and you won't incur much debt. And at least that way, the only debt, the real debt you're going to incur is going to be a UConn. And as long as you do what you're supposed to do, you'll be fine. And then also, you, like, um, Adrian, you were speaking to, like, the types of, like, jobs that you are interested. I think Zach actually said this, too. Like, the majors that you choose and things like that. Like, my mom being Jamaican, my dad being African-American, really my mom. She was like, you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be a lawyer. And, like, and, like that's the, those are the paths you like, so you're going to make the most money, right? And I think that also really instructed the way, like, I at first I chose, like, my majors. Like, when I was transferred into UConn I was a bio major and I was completely stressed I was just like this is not for me like this is not getting what needs to be given I was like I was trying to find my way I was like I need to do this I want to go to med school that was always the goal but I'm like very quickly I found out like I could do it but it was just super stressful and then also speaking to like doing the multiple job thing like I always ever since like my senior year of high school I've always had at least one or two jobs so like working during school was like I just did it. I didn't necessarily have to do it, but like to have my own kind of independent freedom, like it was something that I did. And then thinking about like, when you talk about being in clubs, like for a lot of these different majors, you have to be in certain things in order to like build your resume to get these jobs post-graduation, right? So like, you don't really necessarily have a choice. And then even thinking about like um, internships and like unpaid internships versus paid internships and the way black and brown students typically have to like get the paid internship like they can't they they can't afford not to have a paid internship during the summer like that's not an option you know what I mean and those are usually summer pickings and much more competitive to get into and are not as accessible you know what I mean and even just thinking about like free labor in college and like just how wild that is like they 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 elicit our labor to be free because we're so-called students right but like we the labor that we're doing you don't necessarily always have to, like, we can be paid. This is, this is what, like the bottom line of what I'm saying. And Should just, be paid, in yes, my opinion. exactly. Like, the logic, the normalization of, like, free labor in college is really something that we can, like, it's, like, a whole other conversation. Because, like, the ways in which we, like, normalize, oh, you can just do all this work while you also are a student, while you're also probably working other jobs. And it's okay that it's free. You know what I mean? Like, this is what you're supposed to do. Like, this is just normal. Like, nobody questions it. It's like, mm, maybe not. And I think that also plays into, like, now we going back to like calling back to our radical rest podcast and like saying no, like the power of saying no and thinking about like resignations and like our generation being like, Oh, we're not doing that the same way. Like we're not going to just be subject to the nonsense and like not have required. Like there's everybody's paying the bare minimum so I can go anywhere and get the same energy. So I think all of that definitely, <laughs> I say I'm circling back, but I say all that to say that like the ways in which debt shape like my college education were pretty, pertinent and like to avoid it like I was like in any way possible if I can prevent having as much debt as possible I'm going to try to do that and I think to some extent right and this may not necessarily speak truly fully to my experience but I definitely could speak to others is like that is very limiting you know what I mean if 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 only you didn't have like the like that that shackle or like that 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 um that like monkey on your back of like oh well this is all over you know, like, I'm gonna have to figure this out and like choosing like the jobs that you're going to get, um, the urgency of needing to get the right job to pay off the certain amount. I think all of that really like, it creates this very toxic embodied, like you talk about stress, Zach, and like the embodiment of stress and like what that does to your mental and like your ability to excel, to excel in what you went there for. Like you're going there for your education, but you're worried about so many other things that are not directly linked right to, to like what your 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 so-called purpose is there to be there for right which is to get an education and get a quality one at that i think yeah. um, with all that being said now that we've like kind of discussed you know what it's like being in college and stuff i think it's um post-pandemic now because of that that 
changed a lot of things for a lot of people, right? Like going to school during that or having to figure out like paying during that. Um, and so now we're at a time where student debt, at least the interest rates, which we talked about, which are such a big factor, right? Because it's like, if you didn't have the student interest rates then like, well, it might not be as big of an issue, right? But the fact that you're going to owe maybe double what you initially owed if you don't pay your loans like on time, um, they've been put on pause during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And that was that was like four cannot, times. Six huh? times actually. Six seven times. They've been paused seven times. Right. But it, it started by Biden administration, Biden right? Trump. And it's like wild to think that that was something that they did. It was like their hand were was completely forced to do that. I can't believe like it's one of those things where like we can talk we we have talked about how bad the Trump presidency was like during it and like all that stuff. And that was one of the things that I was like, wow, okay, they actually just had to do it because they didn't really have crisis. Like, because nobody was working, like, they it would just like everyone would default on their loans. And so they continued to push it back, right? Um, Biden continued that trend. Um, we've, we've talked about Biden before and how, like, we're kind of so so on his policies because he ran on student debt cancellation. Um, and has continued to delay the push push back the the interest but it's like pushing back in the way that it's like it doesn't seem like there's a clear plan mm-hmm. right pushing back student interest to like delay the inevitable of like well we're gonna have to face this block at some point um right and it's like he had what, what was it adriana we were talking about like he has done certain things that he called student debt cancellation yeah but they're only very particular situations pertaining to certain you want to talk about that yeah he talked so in the article that talked about a little bit but it was like so he targeted like the disabled community he also talked targeted students that were defrauded by their school so remember everest remember like all the commercials back like when we were in high school like the everest commercial like if you're not you're you're, do you want to go to college that guy yeah they were defrauded people so so they're talking like so so them so like people that are defrauding their students so disabled defrauding their students and then there was one more group so very pacific and then in the article it said that's only like one percent of the entire of the one one point seven seven five trillion that's like one percent of borrowers right. so and I it's mean, like did he do something those schools yes. are committing literal crimes yeah yeah it's like one of those things where the biden administration has like been like oh yeah we're doing that like we're we're canceling some student debt you know what i mean we're helping people. it's like yeah, the school is doing illegal things like, like you the, should do that regardless of the pandemic regardless of like student loan interest pauses or whatever that should have been a thing you did like regardless you know and it's really frustrating this far in where it's like okay you were running against trump like many people didn't want to vote for you but like felt like we didn't have a choice which is a whole nother electoral college election issue that's a whole nother podcast but like we voted for you. Part of the reason we voted for you is because you promised student debt cancellation. You ran on it. It was a big part of your policy. And two years plus into it, where where are we? You know what I mean? I don't know, Adrian, if you want to go over some of like yeah. the, the different think- scenarios we have, but it's like super, super frustrating. one point that's pretty interesting is he appropriated that that plan like from Elizabeth right. Warren like and because it was picking up scene because it was popular and he he definitely agreed to um at least at minimum 10 million um 10,000 per borrower right which actually is the most is the most conservative and does I mean of all the choices he has does on par the least um and affects the least amount of people but still, it's better than nothing, and also that comes with requirements and eligibility requirements, um, which I think is up to like one hundred and twenty thousand per individual. Yeah, real quick, I that. do want to say I think what's funny is you know he keeps like backing away, like he made the campaign promises, but since he's become president, the only thing that he has like given a certainty on, and like I read this, um, it was like a Business Insider article. The only thing he he said for sure is that he's not going to do 50K in debt cancellation. Yeah. That's the only thing he said. He was like, we're definitely not doing that much. I know what I'm not going to do. Like, you know, <laughs> it's, it's like you won't give us any answers on what you will do, but you'll definitely tell us what you won't do. Anyway, sorry for interrupting. But that was just, no, that was hilarious. No, that's, that is definitely facts. And I, I going into that, but off of that really quickly, even recently, like within this last month, the, um, 
the Federal Reserve has raised interest rates. So that's going to affect student loans. Like, literally, if he would have did something earlier, like, people may have known about, you know, okay, so we know what he's going to do. So we're either going to start paying now or we're going to uh, wait till he cancels. We know he's going to cancel it. But him leaving us in this precarity has literally made things worse because now people's loans are going to cost more because it ends at the end of the month and expires and the uh, interest rate is going to apply. I was actually just on the phone with my, my loan servicer today. So it's like you acting like you don't want to do for like two years when you said on the campaign trail this was your um this is something you you're gonna agree upon is like literally violent like political like um like policy wise structural like structurally is structurally violent because now the interest rates have gone up higher that means that our loans are going to end up costing us more so if you don't do anything you just left this precarity and people were waiting for you to cancel it before they paid now we're going to be left in even worse situation than we, we were before you know what i'm so he has like in a lot of ways he has to do something um and they talk about three different plans so either doing 10 million 10 thousand 10 million 10 thousand per borrower or anywhere between 10 thousand to um five thousand per bar but, but he said he definitely won't do five fifty of uh, ten thousand to fifty thousand and then he said he definitely won't do fifty thousand so it doesn't even make sense to talk about that but i, I think i think it's interesting to look at it in a political sense right um you know, Trump did a lot of things that he pushed to the end of his presidency. So he just like wouldn't have to deal with. It's like, what are what are the odds he just pushes it again? I think pretty high. Yeah. I th I think he can keep kicking this down the road. There are midterm elections coming up. You mm -hmm. know, politically, if you look at it, it's like kind of political suicide to just say, oh, well, we're not really going to do much. Good luck with that. You know, exactly. Like, the American the way American politics works is like whoever is in charge people just hate them, right? Like they get elected and then their approval rate goes all the way down until the next election. And we've been flip-flopping Republican Democrat for the past like couple decades. Just like, cause you know, generally speaking, like on a lot of the main issues, we've talked about this before, like Americans are pretty solid on like what they believe and what they don't. It's just that like whoever's in charge kind of keeps the status quo. Trump was the exception to be fair, but like a lot of like economic policy is like, generally like kind of shared between like democrats and republicans they can argue like they're not and you know they can argue that all they want but like at the end of the day like not too much changes from president to president you know like these days and so i think it's it would just be if he doesn't do anything i don't think he's gonna get reelected. now i already think his chances are tough as is because like you know if we want to talk about what the rest of his like resume as president like I don't know if he's done much of anything but like this is a big one this is a really big one and once again we're just talking about federal student loans we're not talking about like not private loans which are like a whole nother story right like people have like once again the number is like over almost two trillion dollars you know if he does nothing like i think that's political suicide i i think that would be just the dumbest thing he could possibly do but at the same time i don't know if he like if he was going to do something, I feel like he should have done it. It's been like two years. In one of the articles, it said that he's still contemplating between the 10,000 versus like 30,000. I'm like, how have you not figured this out with this amount of time yet? Like you're playing games. And I think I have the question, do you think he can afford not to do anything by midterms? Like, I feel like that, like it no. may not be political suicide for him yet, but I mean, it might as well will be because like, who's going to be enthusiastic about going out to vote? Like, obviously people like us that are already just like act but like people that are already apathetic about voting and they're just now they're about to like default on their loans they're probably gonna be like um i'm cool off that like he did nothing he said he was gonna do like i don't think he can afford that kind of if he wants to maintain control of congress like that's why i think he kicks the can down the road i think he just continues to like pause. but is that helpful though at this point I don't think that does well, anything it put, it put, it, Like, I mean, it just pushes it out of people's minds because they're like, well, I don't have to think about it, you know? But like, it, it, like it's just like you said, it's making it worse. But I think he, he should have decided already. Like, it's been two years. <laughs> like, it's coming to a consensus on the number. Like, I feel like even if he did 10,000, that would be like... Better than nothing. Minimum, but at least it would be something. And like... It, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why he can't just agree on 10. I, I really, I just, it, it seems like the easiest layup for him to do. And like, 
it is something that affects every family in the country, pretty much. Doesn't matter if you're Republican, doesn't matter if you're Democrat, like people have student loans and they have a lot of it. If you forgive $10,000 of that, like, and I think the number was like, it's $10,000 for people who are making under $125,000 a year. Yeah. You know, in my opinion, okay, sure, whatever. If you're going to put a cap on that, fine. That makes sense. You know, you're not going to forgive like millionaire student loans, right? But like, just do it, dude. Like, I don't, I don't know what else to say. Like, it's, you, you ran on it, you know? Like, this is something that looks bad no matter, like, if you're on the left or right, like it's it is it's something that affects everyone, like you know, like Medicare or something and stuff like that. Like when we were in the pandemic, like everyone got the stimulus, right? It affected everyone. And I just ugh, I don't know. It's so frustrating. Like I, every time we talk about this, man, it's just like <laughs> I also have a question about the eligibility because it's also there's still 125,000 income cap. There's also whether the institution a borrower attended was public or private. I don't know how they're going to play that out. And then the kind of loan that was taken out. And then these are potential eligibility requirements. And then whether the loan was used for undergraduate or graduate studies is what I read in Fox. So I don't, I mean, I'm like, where, like, why is that other stuff important? I don't Wait, know. I got, like, Adrian, do you think um, that he's going to do something about it? If you had to put a bet, uh, place a bet on whether or not he's going to do how much, like, how much would you say, if any at all, do you think he's going to do anything? I'm curious. Um, yeah, I need to get more into politics, but let's just say from what, your article has been saying um i will probably do ten thousand dollars if that i'm very skeptical <laughs> of the government so honestly ten thousand dollars is nice but it could be five thousand they could just be like mm, we're gonna drop it a little bit so um right. yeah, i think definitely on the lower end and then it might just become like an executive order just like everything else honestly that's what i feel like the past like two presidencies have been there's been a lot of just executive orders just happening at the end and not too much done during the presidency i think it's a pretty good call honestly i think it's just like one of those things where um like he should he, should, he ran on it this is a policy that he ran on right like we've said that so many times already it's like <laughs> if it's a policy he ran on what is he thinking about what is there to think yes. about you already, you already. But that goes back to he appropriated this plan. This wasn't originally right, his, right, right. so like he's not as invested as like I say if Elizabeth Warren was in there. Like she had people doing the research that she was engaged with that like she was actually passionate about it. You know what I mean? And like to the point of like if you only did ten thousand or like five thousand, most people's debt is like fifty thousand plus. So like that, I mean, it's nice, but I mean it's not like that. It's nice, but it's not really gonna people are still gonna default on large subs of money <laughs> and like yeah but it, it just kind of reminds me of the situation like housing during the pandemic where it was like you know they they have they put a what was it the rent moratorium or whatever it was where like people like just couldn't they didn't have a job so they couldn't pay rent because like so many people in this country live paycheck to paycheck and we saw what happened when they finally lifted it without much of like you know, they, they gave the stimulus check, which was like maybe a month or two worth of rent. We saw what happened and it's like thousands and thousands of people got evicted, you know, like mm -hmm. complete disaster um, and really poorly affected the economy, obviously. And and just thinking like with all the stuff going on now and people talking about like, are we going headed towards a recession? Like, or what is going on? There's a other, like if they really don't do much, even if they do like 10K or less, but then they just immediately switch on the higher interest rates on these loans. Like a lot of people might be in a lot of trouble and that's just, I don't know. I don't want to be all doom and gloom or whatever, but yeah, that's, that's something I was thinking about. It's not a good thought. You make valid points for sure. No, I agree. It's, it definitely will leave us in quite the precarious situation once again, but I mean, in this country we normalize violence. So what's new? Um, <laughs> but the last question is how do we visualize justice in this context uh, i guess this is probably pretty 
the most clear cut of all our podcast episodes of like what justice looks like in this context so what do you guys think i guess it's like what what's the number for y'all for true justice, justice. is it full cancellation is i mean just justice would be like really changing like you know as i think we talk about this all the time is like would be fundamentally changing how the system works of course you know you start there where it's like we don't we don't have to make an like a number decision on debt forgiveness if there if debt isn't a, as big of a problem in the first place let's get that out of the way but big facts with that with that being said with that caveat i don't want to call 10k justice but what it is is coming through on a promise harm reduction what harm reduction yeah no exactly like yeah it's just like you said you were going to do it so do it and I think politically, I think he, ha- I think that's just something he has to do. And if he doesn't, I think that's a really, really bad look for the administration on top of a pile of bad looks. Um, actual debt forgiveness justice, I think whatever the average amount is, really, because once again, the pride there are pri- there are people who have private and like federal loans. There are people who have taken out both. I took out both. You know what I mean? Um, because that's what my dad thought would be the best financial decision, right? So it's like, you know, if you look at the average, I think, yeah, like 40K would be, would help a lot of people. So that's going to be my answer. Um, For me on the topic, we kind of, I kind of wanted to bring up privatization. I think a lot of what the U.S. does, whether it's real estate or colleges is the privatization of property. Um, And so that kind of leaves us in spaces where loans are really high, buying a house is like ridiculous, like is also very high, but it's also also contributes to systemic racism and redlining. Um, And I guess in terms of, ooh, all the lights went on. Sorry, <laughs> um, but in terms of, let's see, um, the privatization of loans and just like loans in general in colleges, like I think there should be a cap on how much college should be can be, just everywhere or even at least a good maybe like seventy percent of the colleges in the U.S. should have a cap, um, and. It should be probably, I don't know what, but maybe just as long as like a anyone in the U.S. can afford college, you know, that's an actual affordable rate for college. Um, and then as for loan forgiveness, I think always go with the higher bet, um, 30000 If that's the only one that he, that Biden will do, then 30000 But I agree with Zach. 45,000, whatever the average, the average um, loan is for the U.S. population, go ahead, please do it. Um, I think justice in general just always involves um, looking at all of the isms, um, such as like disability and like um, gender, race, class, all of those things, they all need to be considered um, and not just choosing one over the other. Um, I think having a intersectional lens and um, meeting people, where, meeting each individual household where they're at is honestly very important. So, yeah, that's kind of where I lie in the justice part of it. Yes, I yep, I agree with both of you guys' points. I think going back to Zach, like fundamentally dismantling the ways in which like student debt is harmful in college and like going back to what you said, Adrian, about there being a cap or even like thinking about like because we have to reach toward the future but also like center ourselves and like the now like is there a way we can decrease at a percentage the cost of like overall tuition at all colleges um by every five years and make it go down to the point that it's at a rate that it's actually by 2030 by 2050 by 2040 is at a rate that is actually um reasonable and even there was an article that was talking about debt-free college which I was like whoa but I mean that I guess that would be like the ultimate um form of justice right like we shouldn't have to um you see in so many other countries like 
the government funds the higher education. So just like your K through 12. So I don't know. I think that would be another possible way. But does anybody have any final thoughts before I read the closing quote? Okay, well, without further ado, guys, I'm going to read our closing quote. Um, so first, we're going to quote the Honorable Former Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall um, from his bicentennial speech, where he says, I do not believe that the meaning of the Constitution was forever fixed at the Philadelphia Convention, nor do I find the wisdom, foresight, and sense of justice exhibited by the framers particularly profound. To the contrary, the government they devised was defective from the start requiring several amendments, a civil war, and a momentous social transformation to obtain the system of constitutional government in, the respects, in its respects for individual freedoms and human rights we find we hold as fundamental today. When contemporary Americans cite the Constitution, they evoke a concept that is vastly different from the one that framers barely begun to construct two centuries ago. And with that, TNBC says that systemic racism does not just manifest itself in the extreme insidious nature of police violence but exists in a spectrum where it festers every day to stifle the ability of black indigenous and people of colors to ability to flourish in every aspect of life anti-racism and social justice work is a continuous conscious act it requires us to learn and relearn our ways of being in the world and question what is hegemonic to ensure we're not falling into the inherently violent status quo it requires us to believe in and imagine a world more just than the one we live and work to achieve it. And with that, we're going to call it a wrap, guys. <laughs>